0: I'd like you, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn to Luke chapter 24. We'll be reading from verse 1. I want to speak to you today on a question that the angels asked the women who had come on Easter morning to anoint what they thought would be the dead body of Jesus with uh, spices and uh, ointments. And the angels said, why seek ye the living among the dead? Luke chapter 24 and verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were greatly perplexed concerning this, suddenly two men stood by them in shining garments, As they were afraid and bowed their faces to the ground, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But their words seemed like fables to them, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. He departed. Wondering in himself what had happened. We've just seen a portrayal of Jesus' death on the cross. And now we see a portrayal of Easter morning. And the women had arrived. And they had arrived early. And their full intention was to take the spices and the perfumes that they'd mixed together. And to anoint what they thought would be the dead body of Jesus there. They, wrote, they found the stone rolled away at the door. They found the, uh, the, the cave empty, and uh, they had no idea what was going on. Then you see these angels, and these angels asked them a question. Why seek ye the living among the dead? Why are you seeking the living among the dead? And when you read some commentaries on this passage... Uh, it seems to, uh, they seem to think, well, it's a strange question to ask. They weren't seeking the living amongst the dead. The ladies were seeking the dead amongst the dead. They fully expected to find the dead body of Jesus crucified uh, three days ago in the tomb. That's what they were seeking. They were seeking the dead amongst the dead. But the angels knew what they were asking when they gave this question, Because this question was a question that challenged their faith and also caused them to remember what Jesus had said. Notice, after asking the question, why are you seeking the living amongst the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. The next word they say is, remember. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. So Jesus had already predicted, prophesied and spoken that he would die, but that also on the third day he would rise again. But these women had forgotten all about that. They'd forgotten it. They weren't thinking about it. Nobody mentioned it on their way to the tomb. uh, they, they they, They were so overwhelmed by the events of the last few days, so overwhelmed by witnessing the death of Jesus that any recollection or remembrance of the fact that he said there would be a third day and he would rise again, it wasn't in their conscious thoughts. It wasn't part of their thinking. Jesus had died, they'd witnessed that, and now they'd come to deal with the dead body. But not only them. Once the angels had said, remember, then all of a sudden they did remember And now they had witnessed the fact that he was no longer in the tomb. It suddenly made sense to them. So what did they do? Well, they went as quickly as they could and returned to the eleven. And they told them the story. And the interesting thing is, is that the disciples, the eleven, one of them had gone, the eleven had also totally forgotten that Jesus had predicted it on the third day he rose again. And when the lady said, we met these angels, they told us, didn't he say that he would rise again? And they told us, to remember, it. it says here, that as they told these things to the apostles, their words seemed like fables to them, and they did not believe them. In different translations, we, we, we see that, that, that the words seemed like nonsense to them. Another translation said, the words seemed like a fairy tale to the apostles. Another says, the word seem, seems, their words seemed like fiction. Their words seemed like idle talk. So the women didn't believe when they went to visit. And then when they carried back their eyewitness testimony of the empty tomb and the fact that uh, they had met angels, the men... The apostles didn't believe them. They thought they were talking a load of rubbish, making it up. They just couldn't believe. The best of them was Peter. And, uh, and Peter, he, he knew Jesus very well. He was one of the inner three. But look even him. He didn't believe him or take them at, the, at, at, at his word. He thought, well, I'll have a look myself. He went down as quick as he could to the tomb, and indeed he found it empty... He found linen clothes lying by them. And here in verse 12, it says this. Think about this. He departed, wondering to himself what had happened. What an incredible insight. We, in hindsight, know exactly what happened. But they had been told what was going to happen. But the ladies and the men didn't know, weren't thinking what Jesus had said. And even Peter, Peter of all of the apostles who Jesus had spoken directly to about these things, he turned up, thought, oh, the body's missing. I wonder what happened. What an incredible story. I mean, you couldn't make this up if you wanted to. It's just such a genuine reflection of people that were overwhelmed with sorrow, had forgotten what they'd been so clearly taught and didn't really know what was going on but Jesus had accurately predicted and prophesied that on the third day he would rise again let's go to some of these passages mark chapter 8 for example mark chapter 8 and verse 31 mark 8:31 Jesus has just had a, uh, Peter has just had a revelation when he says, who do you say I am? He says, you are the Christ. And then it says, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He said this openly and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. So here, Jesus is actively teaching them that he must suffer, he must die, but he will on the third day rise again. And we see Peter actively opposing this right from the beginning. Another passage that we could go to is the Gospel of John, chapter 2 and verse 19. Jesus has just cleansed the temple. And... uh, Well, let's go from verse 18... John 2:18 Then the Jews said to him What sign do you show us seeing that you do these things Jesus answered them Destroy this temple and in 3 days I will raise it up Then the Jews said It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in 3 days but he was speaking concerning the temple of his body Therefore when he was raised from the dead His disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Let's go to one final uh, reference here. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 63. You see, the only people on Easter morning that had remembered Matthew chapter 27, 63... The only people that had remembered that Jesus had taught that he'd rise again were his enemies. His enemies had remembered that he'd taught this. Matthew chapter 27. Well, let's go from verse 62. The next day, following the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was still alive that... After three days I will rise, therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. This, the last deception would be worse than the first. How ironic. The eleven forgot, the ladies at the tomb forgot, but the enemies that put Jesus on the cross remembered his teaching. His teaching must have been so open, so public, and consistent about dying and and being raised again on the third day that his enemy said, hey, do you remember what he kept saying, that he was going to rise on the third day? And so they did something about it and posted a guard on it. The believers didn't believe, but the unbelievers took his words seriously. Once Jesus had raised from the dead, we, we have a number of accounts of how he uh, revealed himself as resurrected to different people. One of the most famous accounts of resurrection is, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There, Paul explains the importance of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, the whole of the Christian faith rests on the fact that Jesus was physically raised from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father. Without Jesus' physical resurrection, there is no Christianity, there is no Christian faith. It stands or falls on the truth of that teaching. Paul himself says if Jesus was not raised from the dead then we Christians amongst all peoples are most to be pitied and we have no hope but If Jesus, conversely, is raised from the dead, then we Christians are those that have most to rejoice about, and we have a great hope, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. We can meet death with sure and certain knowledge that Jesus conquered the grave... Conquered the greatest enemy of mankind, death, is seated at the right hand of the, of, of the Father, is the first fruits. Because he was raised from the dead, we know one day we will be raised from the dead too. Amen. Jesus is coming soon. Sooner than you could possibly imagine. And he will return in the very body that was raised from the dead and glorified. Every time a believer dies, their body is like an acorn that is sown in the ground or perhaps cremated, it doesn't really matter. But their bodily remains are sown like an acorn. They go to be with Jesus in heaven, but when Jesus returns on that day, the acorns of our physical weak bodies that have been sown will be raised incorruptible, glorified, not as an acorn again, but like a full-grown oak tree. Our bodies be raised from the dead. They will no longer be subject to sickness, no longer subject to sin. We will be totally and utterly glorified. Because he died and rose again, we have hope in this life and the life to come. Paul also mentioned that Jesus had appeared to many people. He appeared to James, James, the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection and he believed. Paul says at one time there were 500 believers together and Jesus appeared in resurrection form in front of them and they all believed. And at the time you could have said, well, where are these 500 people? And Paul could have told you who they were, where they are. You could have gone to them. You could have said, were you one of the 500? They would have said yes. All the New Testament was written in living memory of the very people that witnessed his death and resurrection. You could have gone to the apostles and said, did he, what was it like when he appeared to you? You could have gone to the women and said, what was it like when the angel spoke to you? Acts chapter 1, verse 3, uh, we could look at other passages, but, but sort of like summarizes the, that Jesus again and again and again appeared to people having risen from the dead and they testified of that. Acts Chapter 1, and verse 3. Jesus gives commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he presented himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking concerning the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and we see a picture of the resurrected Christ teaching the disciples before his ascension. Not only that, but when we look back even today in the contemporary world at the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead and we look at all the different evidences that, that we are, we can be absolutely certain that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, today's not the time for me to go into those arguments in details, but let me give you uh, some quotes from some people that uh, were top lawyers or top historians and looked into this evidence. Did Jesus rise from the dead? And here are some quotes from and conclusions from them. The first is from... Lord Darling, Lord Darling, who was a former Chief Justice of England. And he says this, "'We as Christians are asked to take a very great deal on trust, "'the teachings, for example, and the miracles of Jesus. "'If we had to take all on trust, I for one should be sceptical. The crux of the problem of whether Jesus was or was not what he proclaimed himself to be must surely depend upon the truth or otherwise of the resurrection. On that greatest point, we are not merely asked to have faith. In its favor as living truth, there exists. Such an overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection story is true. Let me also quote from Professor Thomas Arnold, a former chair of history at Oxford University and the author of the famous volumes, History of Rome. He knows a little bit about history. He says this. I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those that have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Former Chair of History at Oxford University. I'll give you one more. John Singleton Copley, recognized as one of the greatest legal minds in British history. He was Solicitor General of the British government, Attorney General of Great Britain, three times the High Chancellor of England and elected High Steward of the University of Cambridge. His mother was very proud of him. (laughs) He said this, I know pretty well what evidence is, and I tell you. Such evidence as that for the resurrection has never yet broken down. And so this is a great event that we are looking at when, when we're, we're reading through this. And I'd like us to go back now to that question that the angel spoke to those women. And think about that. He says, Why, they said, Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? You see. It's easy for us to criticise on Easter Sunday here in 2017. But would we have done anything different if we were there in Easter morning? Ladies, if you were amongst the ladies that were visiting the tomb with your fragrant scents, would you have done anything different than they did? Would you have thought of anything different than they did? Would you have remembered... The words of Jesus predicting that he would rise rise from the dead on the third day. And if you had remembered it, what would you have done about it? Gentlemen, if you were there on Easter morning, one of the apostles or amongst that gathering, and the women had come and told you about their angelic visitation, when you think of everything and the darkness that everybody had experienced over the last few days and the roller coaster ride of Easter week... Would you have done anything differently? Would you have said, these women, they're talking nonsense, fables, idle talk, fairy tales. Or would you have said, ah, this reminds me of what Jesus said. Would you have done anything different? It's a question for us to think about. And the question is, if we wouldn't have done anything different then, then are we really living in resurrection faith today? I'll be talking about how we can apply this to us in a few moments in that way. Now, a great picture of faith is Abraham. And Romans chapter 4, you might like to turn to it if you have it, speaks about Abraham. And says that Abraham is the father of all that believe. And that those that believe in Abraham, this is Romans 4, those that believe in Abraham walk in his footsteps of faith. He's a great example. When you look at the life of Abraham, you see a man growing in mature, mature faith. Now, he had his ups and his downs as he grew in faith, trusting the Lord. He had his Ishmael, remember uh, he, 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 he twice gave his wife up and said, she's not my wife, she's my sister, not thinking that God could protect him and that he might be killed. Even though God had promised and said to him, through Sarah will I bring you a miracle seed. His name shall be Isaac, not Ishmael. So when you read the story of Abraham, you see Abraham's faith failures, and they're very similar to our faith failures, And you see his faith triumphs. And you also see him grow strong in faith to the point where God says to him, testing his faith, take your son Isaac up on a mountain and sacrifice him to me. Now, by that time, Abraham was fully mature in faith. He trusted God. And unlike the women at the tomb, And unlike the disciples who heard the testimony of the women on the tomb that morning, Abraham did not forget. He'd learned to remember what God had spoken to him by that time. And Hebrews chapter 11, that has a a great list of all those that had great faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says that Abraham reckoned. He, He reasoned in his mind according to the reasoning of faith. And he said to himself, Wait, God promised me that through Isaac would the multitudes eventually come. So if God tells me to sacrifice Isaac, then that means that God will just have to raise Isaac from the dead in order to have offspring. And you know what? He didn't flinch an inch. Not one inch. There was not one element of doubt within him. That had been in in his growing period, but now he remembered the word. And in this challenge, it was the word he believed. He remembered it. He understood that God said, in Isaac will your seed be. And when Isaac said, Father, where is the sacrifice coming from? He said, don't worry, son, God will provide on the mountain. And he was well ready to sacrifice Isaac because it didn't matter to him because he knew God would have to... He had resurrection faith. Now, if you were to go to Abraham and say, Abraham, who is the God of Abraham? Abraham can say, well, it's a long story. There's so many attributes, so many characteristics of my God, of the Lord, of Yahweh, so many attributes. Now, Abraham, I haven't got time. Could you just bring it down into to, to two things Two things that the God of Abraham is He may be many other things, but what is the core revelation of the God of Abraham? And here in Romans 4, we see this. Romans 4, verse 16. Let's go from there. Therefore, the promise comes through faith. So that it might be by grace that the promise would be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Before God, whom he believed, and who raises the dead... And calls those things that do not exist as though they did. There it is. Who is the God of Abraham? He is the God that calls those things that are not as though they were. That's number one. He speaks into the future. He brings promise. He brings prophecy. He brings his word to us. And he speaks of things not yet happened. And we can have confidence on his word as we live towards those things taking place. He gives the God. He is the God of the promise. He calls those things that aren't as though they were. Because when he calls them, it's as if they're already done. Number one. But number two, the God of Abraham is characterized as the God who raises from the dead. So Abraham's core revelation of God is that he calls those things that aren't as though they were and that he raises from the dead. Sarah's womb was dead when it came to giving birth. Abraham came to the point where he was dead when it came To being part of that process of bearing a child but God caused the reproductive organs to come from the dead and to come alive again in a miracle Isaac so what would Abraham be doing if he was around on Easter Sunday Now, I know in a sense he even saw Easter Sunday because Jesus said that Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. So Abraham saw the things that were not as though they were. But imagine if he was just around there at the time. Imagine he was there in bodily form. What would he be doing? I tell you what, he wouldn't be coming to the tomb with uh, an ointment for the dead. He wouldn't be hiding somewhere depressed and despondent and unbelieving like the rest of the 11. What would he be doing? Well, if he was there by the cross, he would be deeply touched as we were by that short portrayal of the crucifixion. But the moment Jesus said, into your hands I commend my spirit, he'd have taken his stopwatch, pressed it, and put the count down for three days. And then he would have found out where Jesus was being buried, where Jotham Arimathea was putting him. And then he would have got himself a deck chair. He'd have got himself a little tent, and he'd have parked right outside that closed tomb. He'd have had his flask of coffee with two cups. And he would be waiting, waiting for the moment that Jesus had predicted and taught openly and publicly he would be waiting in faith with hope for the moment of resurrection. That's what Abraham would have done because he was mature in faith. Finally, what does this say to us, these women? Why seek you the living amongst the dead with all their oils and perfumes and ointments? You see, they had come to anoint the body of Jesus. Why would they do that? Well, out of respect, but also this was a common tradition amongst the Jews, and the reason they would put all this perfume on the dead body was because of the smell that would take place as that body decomposed. Do you remember when Lazarus was in the tomb for four days and Jesus said, roll away the stone, and someone said, don't do it, it, the stench will be... The King James puts it like this... He stinketh. And why? So they would do this. Now, often in these tombs, there wouldn't just be a tomb for one person. They would be like communal tombs. And so someone would be put in a tomb, uh, in like a cave, and they'd be put in one section on a ledge, a bit like catacombs can be. And then then it'd be closed. And later on, when somebody else died in the same family, then their body would be put in the same catacombs. And so in these tombs... You had to anoint the perfume on the body in case that while that body was still decomposing during that year, somebody else died that needed to be put in there. You'd be very grateful that someone had put some Chanel number 5 on the other corpse when you put the thing in. Now, Jesus' tomb had never been used, but it might have been used after him. It was Joseph Arimathea's tomb. Uh, My understanding is, is that later on, Joseph, when he died, and others would go and join Jesus in the tomb. So this is sort of the background. They had gone to anoint this decomposing, so they thought, body. Well, the question I would say prophetically from this picture is, what about us? What if an angel said to us, why are you seeking the living amongst the dead? And you say, well, I'm not in any tombs. Well, are you not in any tombs? Maybe you're not wandering around physical cemeteries. But maybe there's some aspects of your life and experience where you're saying, where is God? God seems to have failed me. I see no end. I see no light at the end of the tunnel. Broken, shattered dreams. Hopes of the past now seem to have been dead and buried in your lives. Prophecies that you'd heard. Words spoken over your life and you think, well... Perhaps they weren't true after all. People that you'd put your trust in, betraying you, leaving you feeling dead in areas of of your life. The failings of life. We live in a fallen world. How many of you know that? Everything has the taste of brokenness. Everything has, has a death curse on it in this world. As beautiful as creation is, it dies. As beautiful as we are and as much as we love life, we're all going to die if Jesus tarries. This world is broken and fallen. It's not like it was when it was first made. But Jesus has began the process of resurrection and renewal. And so in our lives, we're going to have the dead places. We're going to have the tombs. And the danger is, is that we will go into those situations overwhelmed, disconcerted disappointed and discouraged parts of our hope will die parts of our faith will seem to die and we'll begin to give up on situations, circumstances and perhaps people we're like the women we go into these areas and circumstances we have no faith we've been disappointed broken disheartened And what we do is we we take the perfume and we just try and make that area smell a bit nicer. It's decomposed. We just try and make it smell a bit nicer. Decomposition, it seems, is taking place. What do people do? They take the perfume of materialism. It's Easter Sunday. I wonder how many people will be down at Whiteley's shopping just to give themselves, oh, I feel depressed today. I need a new dress. I need some shoes. I need a new suit. You know what I'm talking about. Or people that can't face the dead parts of life. And so they spend their time in front of sky television, movie channels, sports challenge, entertainment. Nothing wrong in themselves, any of these. You understand that. But people are going, and they're trying to be entertained. Another show, another drink, another gift... Uh, another holiday, another experience, something just to put on the realities of life that are dead and tomb-like, just to give some sort of fragrance so that we don't fully feel the stench of a world that is fallen and in sin, make it smell a bit nicer, just like these women did. And the angels would speak to you and the angels would speak to me the same question that they spoke to those ladies that morning. Why are you seeking the living amongst the dead? In these dead tomb experiences where we've given up, the same fault with the women, the same fault with the men, is usually the same fault with us. We have forgotten what the Lord has said. We've forgotten that he's got a word for every situation that we face. We have forgotten that even when death comes into our family, Jesus has spoken a word and gone beyond death to resurrection. We have forgotten that, that God had said that count it joy when you go through various trials. For God is at work giving you endurance, strengthening you, so that you will come out perfect and lacking no good thing. We forgot to remember what God has said. Some of us, God has spoken into our lives clearly, prophetically. It's been tried, it's been tested. It's not some fake image or dream or projection that we have put on God. But God has spoken to us through his word and through his spirit and given us precious promises And when we face things, we we look at it and we forget the promises that are there during the dark period, during the three days. Jesus had given them a word, a promise to carry them through. They should have been there. Like I said, we we can easily talk about it now, but we'd do the same thing then. They should have been there. When Jesus said, into my hands, I I commit my spirit, we should have said, see you in three days, Lord. We'll be there. We'll have the balloons ready. We'll have the welcome back ready. We'll have the banners ready. We'll have the party poppers ready. Because you said it and we believe it. What a different way to carry yourself through the the hours of the grave, to carry yourself through those three days. There was something if they remembered. There's something in the word of God for you today. There's something in God's spirit for you today. Things past need to be resurrected. Things that you're facing need to go to the word about, believe God about. Things that are dead can be resurrected. Remember, your God is the God of Abraham, and he calls those things that are not. How many are nots are in your life right now? How many are nots? Not John Arnott, a great preacher, but how many are not? This is not, that is not, the other is not. It's not here. It's not happening. It's not the God who calls things that are not as though they were. How would you like to be called? Abraham, Abraham, father of many, father of many. You don't even have one son. Calling those things that were not as though they were. And the God who brings life to the dead. Don't look at the tombs. Don't don't put some ointment on that which is dead. Take your eyes off the dead places, the cemeteries of the human mind and place your mind... Above, where Christ is, and set your thoughts on things that are above. The Word of God. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. He's not forgotten you. He's filled you with His Spirit. He knows tomorrow. It's not. Uh, it's not tomorrow. Is, is not a mystery to Him. He's working all things too good for those that love Him. He has more energy, more power, more victory than you could ever imagine. He's so in control, he doesn't have to prove it. He doesn't have to be displaying his power. He doesn't have to display his power. He's so powerful, he can wait because it's not over till it's over. He has the last say. He's at work in your life. And he's put the spirit of resurrection in you. Don't you know you've been raised from the dead? You were dead in your sins and transgressions. But when you believe Christ Jesus caused you to be born again, that which was dead inside you was given life and shall never die again. You can release the spirit of resurrection into your circumstances and situations. Get on your knees. Start praying the promises, start prophesying the promises. Don't whinge and, and moan about things, but go to the great intercessor who lives evermore to release and believe him and believe him and pray and pray, and pray and pray and pray and pray and believe and trust and obey, obey, obey and pray. And sooner or later, the resurrection's gonna come. That's what he does, that's who he is. I he didn't say, I can raise. He said, I am resurrection. I am life. Come on now. Come on. If you have Jesus, you have resurrection. You can face the night the dawn is coming. You can keep on believing it gives him glory. It causes you to mature. You can keep on. You can can take steps. Put away the oil and the perfume of the dead places. Get away from the cemeteries of the mind and put your faith on the risen Christ. He is alive yesterday, today, and forever. If you believe it, give him a clap offering of praise. Amen.